Welcome to The Humble Hustle, the only podcast for inspiration and motivation with real-world examples of failures that redefine success for men and women who understand that hustling happens every single day. Welcome to Humble Hustle. I'm Jackie. I'm Nicole. And this is James. And today we're here with... Critty, Kristen, Morris. Critty is cool. Critty, yeah. Of the um, owner of the Dirt Label. What's up, Critty? Chilling. What's poppin'? Nothing. So tell us about the Dirt Label. What do you do? How'd you get started? Uh, Where did it come from? So I started the brand out actually in college. Okay. Um, it was sort of a response to uh, the the current climate. I think the stuff on the market just didn't really fill a void for me at the time when mm -hmm. I was in college. And I wanted something that would kind of like represent me as a person. Okay. So I wanted to do something to be bold, rebellious, something that would stand out. And uh, we started the brand actually as abstraction. Okay. Um, which was like this like brand that had like a bunch of Swarovski crystals on it and shit. It was just like this over, like a Ed Hardy-ish right, ripped like, t-shirts. Late like 2000s. All over the place type <laughs> brand. And uh, it was whack. It was real whack. <laughs> And, uh, Looking back, back then you probably thought it was popping though. I did, I did. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it, it was whack. But then out of it came the Dirt Label, which was sort of like a, it was just a label within abstraction. Okay. Um, something that w we were trying to go in a different direction with because I figured I had to leave this abstraction stuff in the past. Mm -hmm. So Dirt Label was sort of like how Ralph Lauren does, like his purple label. It was sort of like, you know, our, our response to just like, it's just being Dirt Label. Okay. So, But why Dirt? Dirt because honestly the the stuff we were doing it was rugged it was uncut it was raw we had like rips on the t-shirts and it was like a fight club kind of concept gotcha and uh, it started to catch on with a lot of people and so we kind of just ran with it because like I said before it was sort of like we were testing the market a little bit to mm -hmm. see if this would work you know and it did it did so. Okay. So you started in, you've been in business for like 10 years now. We've been in for 10 years, yeah. Okay. And you have a store in Royal Oak. We do, yes. And you, a couple of years ago, you also did a pop-up in, um, what's it called? Greek Greektown. Yeah. Greektown. What made you do the pop-up downtown Detroit? Uh, we've always been ahead of, like, in my opinion, we've, al we've always been ahead of what was really popular in the city. And uh, we did the pop-up as like a temporarily, it was supposed to be just for opening day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wanted to be down in an area that kind of had the consistency with foot traffic. And one of the areas in the city I thought had the consistency was Greektown. So, and you um, did it during the summer, right? We did it during the summer. And um, it took us maybe a week, a week and a half to outfit the whole pop-up. And it was only supposed to be for one day. And it ended up ended up being opening for, I think we were there for almost a year and a half. Yeah. And people thought it was kind of like our second location just because it was doing so well. But um, it was just designed essentially just to be in that area to kind of test out to see how well downtown Detroit retail, because at the time, it even now, I mean, retail is just kind of taking off in the city. But at the time, there were no retail outlets, especially for like sporting, because that's what we kind of had. A lot of our stuff was sports related to mm -hmm. like the Tigers and then we did like some lion stuff. So it was just kind of a temporary thing that ended up taking off for us. So tell us about how you got started. Did you all did you always want to be an entrepreneur, or were you headed to the corporate world, or doing no, something else? No, no, I got a crazy story. So it's story time right now. Um, <laughs> I got kicked out of all Detroit public schools, um, and all? yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one that would take me was actually Crockett, um, and I did two did no two two months at Crockett. Okay. And uh, they were going to kick me out of Crockett. You were going to get kicked out of Crockett? Yeah, because they had a uniform <laughs> policy, and I just wasn't going for it. Like, I actually won best dress, and I was only there for two months. And they was wearing uniforms, and I'm like, I can't do this. This, this, this isn't for me. So, so, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it, it was what it was. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that uh, – Starting out for me, I just wanted something to be, you know, something that would just represent me as a person, you know, something that would, you know, be bold. And I think my rebellious background played well within, like, what the brand turned out to be. So, so you said, though, that you had started the brand while you were in college. So if 
you were getting kicked out of the schools. How did you get through it and then get on to uh, a college education? So I went to school at Wayne State. Yeah? Yeah, I went to school for industrial design, which was mostly like product and automotive design. Okay. So my initial thought was that I can go to Wayne State, do industrial design, and industrial design essentially is essentially anything. I mean, product designs are limitless, you know. So I figured, you know, I can go to school, do the industrial design thing, and just figure it out from there. Um, but a friend of mine, we were both at the same time trying to start a clothing brand. And what we would do was we had a printmaking class that was, like, right next door to our, our building where we were at. So we used to break into the printmaking class to make our screens to do the screen printing. And I remember one time we got caught, and Dave, Dave is from, like, London, so he had the accent. Yeah. So anything he said, it made sense. Like, so Dave was doing the London accent thing, telling the, uh, the instructor that we were just in there straightening up things, and we were just getting ready to take off. And the guy let us go. <laughs> <laughs> the guy let us go. I was just sitting there with my screens just like, yeah, what he said. Like, but, but um, we eventually we, we got pulled to the side by our department head and told us we had to stop breaking into that classroom. And then they told us that we can ask for permission to use the class, but I kind of got this, like, it's better to ask for, like, forgiveness than permission kind of concept. Because I know at the end of the day, I, I think they're just going to tell me no anyway. So I was just like, well, fuck it. We'll just break into class and we'll figure it out later. <laughs> okay. So your brand is known for doing a lot of controversial um, designs. So from a lot of the Trump designs to um, stealing logos or <laughs> borrowing logos, I would say. Impro um, improving. And, and retooling. Uh, <laughs> retooling logos um, like Little Caesars. Um, yeah. The, a lot of the sports teams, the local sports teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you've gotten a lot of cease and desist letters. We have. We have. Tell us about the worst, <laughs> the worst story. <laughs> the worst story. Okay, uh trying to think we had a few of them that was kind of crazy oh so the pistons uh we had a uh oh, the bad boys the bad boys we had a, a piston a, a player for the pistons reggie jackson who wore our hat during the playoffs and so i guess he got kicked out during the playoffs and they did a press conference and so he had on our hat and the way he kind of wore it was kind of ridiculous in my opinion he had it just like <laughs> sitting on top of his head <laughs> and so um they made him take off the hat in the, the middle of the interview in the middle of the interview if you yeah because it said Detroit. so apparently isaiah made isaiah thomas made a comment and he was told he said on the uh, espn that it isn't the platform for reggie to be promoting his brand right oh wow and so i'm like this kind of ridiculous though like i never met reggie a day in my life and long story short his brother came by our store and he bought a bunch of stuff because Reggie, I guess, during one and a half time, like they were out there shooting around, there was a guy who had on one of our hats and he sent his brother over there to ask him where he got the hat from. He told him dirt label, whatever, whatever. So he ended up getting all of this stuff. Reggie ended up wearing it. But what happened the next day was that because people weren't familiar with our brand and they saw Dirt Troy. And Detroit was kind of like a play on words. I'm from Detroit. The brand's called Dirt Label. But if you didn't know it, I guess people were thinking that Reggie was ragging on the city, calling Detroit dirty. Gotcha. So we went on this whole, like, press run where we were, like, on, like, Channel 4, Channel 2, Channel 7. We were, like, explaining our story. We were doing sports talk radio. And a friend of mine who works at Channel 7, she came out and she did an interview with me. And so we took this design that was kind of like the Bad Boys logo, but we put our spin on it and all this other stuff. And as we're doing the interview, unbeknownst to me, they were doing a bunch of B-roll footage of the store, and I'm just talking in the background. So when the story ran, it showed all of this Bad Boy stuff that we ripped off. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so the guy who owned the trademark the next day business was banging we was the store was going crazy everybody's just buying stuff it was just <laughs> ridiculous right coming in there trying to get the bad boy stuff because we was like limited edition and yada yada right. yada and so this guy walks in he didn't belong in the store i don't know he was an older guy he just didn't fit the he didn't fit the customer profile for me right. he came into the store 
He picked up the bad boy's hat. He picked up the bad boy's T-shirt. And then he asked me, did we have any of the sweatshirts left? And I was like, no, nah, we sold out. And then he said something like, uh, I bet. Right. And I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Ring him up. He sticks out his hand and said, do you know who I am? I said, no. He said, I'm the owner of the trademark. Stop selling it. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, bet. I said, you got any some sort of paperwork to show me that you own the trademark? He's like, listen, no, but I'm just trying to save you some time and money. Stop selling it, right? And I'm like, that's cool, man. But if you don't have any paperwork, then we have no conversation. Right, this is a slight threat. The guys <laughs> took 10 minutes. He's in the store yelling. Now, see, I play too much, right? And so I thought <laughs> someone was doing some sort of hidden camera joke on me because he was just in the store just yelling, like, you're going to regret this and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, dude. That's too, that's tight, bro. Like, right. that's what's up. Like, and then his last words to me were, I'll be back, right? So I'm like, all right, cool. Next day, I go out of town. Somebody's working the store. And I had already put my, my attorney on alert about what was happening. She was like, well, if he comes back in, he has to send me the letter. He just can't come in there and drop off a letter. So he shows up the next day with, like, a bunch of letter, a bunch of stuff. And he's like, yo, you guys need to stop selling this right now. So the guy working the store called me up and I called Linda, our attorney. And Linda was like, well, he can't come in there with just some paperwork. Like he needs to send this through the mail to us and mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. Long story short, he was trying to sue us for like a hundred thousand um, for infringing on the trademark. Cause apparently he thought that Reggie Jackson was part owner of the brand. Oh, wow. So whoever convinced this guy that, that, you know, this was what was up, they were trying to come at us for a hundred grand and we were trying to explain to them like, you know, Reggie, I have, I've never met the guy, you know, and we only printed a certain amount. It was a limited edition run, but he was, he was just upset. I guess he was up upset at the fact that I just didn't really acknowledge him when he first came into the store. Mm -hmm. But what we did off of that was we actually took the cease and desist letter and printed that onto a t-shirt and sold that out too. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up <laughs> okay all right <laughs> so yeah that was just one of the many cease and desist situations we had yeah so how did that shirt sell sold out yeah we sold out <laughs> of that one quick too um so what makes you want to retool these designs is that you all's niche that you found i think it's i i call it enhancing for like <laughs> modern day i mean because the just the way i see things is not the way like this generation sees things mm -hmm. so i just figured like we were just enhancing it we we play off some of the words that they use already um onto some of these logos so i i look at it as just like we're enhancing it but we're being very very crafty with it you know when we put together a design although some of this stuff may look simple when you look at like the detail that goes into it it's like y'all killed that like yeah. we get that a lot when people like well we did that we on the lodge with it shirt yeah and we did a flip off the dodge logo and we cut off took off the you know the d and put the l and put the hellcat on there yeah and we sold out of those shirts you know it was just like i think you know we just did it differently and, and i think people love the fact that it's just something that that brand in particular won't ever bring out Mm -hmm. And we're giving you another way of looking at that brand. So, and do you think because you are an entrepreneur and you are a small brand, you are not a a, a, a Nike or an alternative T-shirts or whatever, that you have the ability to like, we're on the lodge with it. I mean, that came up so fast and out of nowhere, just to be able to kind of move with the trends yeah. quickly because you're not like, well, we have to order for next fall. Right, right, right. And that's been one of our niches as well because. Like, one of the things we're able to do is I can design on Monday, have to print by Wednesday, and then store by Friday, Saturday. So it allows you to speak to a moment. Uh, yeah, exactly. And we can move quick at scale. You know, we can we can move very quickly. And then like you say, with some of the bigger brands, they design for the seasons, and they're, like, years out. And I think that, like, I think that hinders because I've worked with bigger brands. I had the ability to design for different, different companies. And I think that kind of the way that, like technology and things are moving right now i think that's a flawed business model in my opinion because you can design for like next year but what if trends change and that's not hot next year and you're stuck with a bunch of product that you can't sell you can't get off and it it puts you you know it puts you at a disadvantage in my opinion you know because trends come and go you know and people 
next thing you know, it may be something different. It may be Kanye this year, but next year it may be someone else. And like, so it's it's just for us being a smaller brand. I think that's one of our advantages, actually. Yeah. So you've done a lot of the. You've remixed. What did you say? You said reinvented. Which one? No. What you said? Not reinvented. Reimagined. Uh, re reimagined. Reenhance. Reenhance. Yeah. The the polo bear. Ah uh, yes. And I have on the Tupac bear. You have yeah. a, a Drake bear, a Yeezy bear, um, a Biggie bear. Who's yeah. the Cardi B one? bear? Cardi B. There's a, a Beyonce and J bear. Yeah. Um. The market. The market dictated that. Um, we originally, when we brought them out, it was sort of like the original concept of it is, was it was to do what the polo bears did. But what we did was that for whatever we were bringing out for that season, like clothing wise, mm -hmm. that's what we would put on the bears. So it was sort of like it, it played along with whatever we were bringing out. But then we started getting requests for people asking us to do, you know, do a Tupac and do it. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and then it was like yo just do it try it out and see what happens and we did it i think our first run we did like maybe 150 shirts and we sold out within like a week if that mm -hmm. so we were blowing through those shirts kind of quickly and then it kind of escalated from us doing it from like you know twice a year to like maybe you know four times five times now mm -hmm. it's like to the point now like Foot Locker took us in and we just dropped a bear for Foot Locker. so it's yeah. like we're rapidly moving with that but i think one of the things we do different from most brands is what we're doing is we're sort of building a community with our design. What, what we're doing is we're showing a lot of like the behind the scenes, like mm -hmm. being very transparent with our brand. And I think a lot of bigger brands or smaller brands, they don't show that process. Right. You know, you kind of see the end results. But within building the community, I think it's important to kind of like educate, but also show people like you go, here's the process of how we did this and mm -hmm. how this is how we got from like A to Z. Yeah, because your IG always shows like this is the first rendition of what um, the Biggie Bear was going to look like. Should he have on yay? Should exactly. he not have on yays? What does that look like? And, and it's content at the end of the day, too. You yeah. know, it's content. And, and I think it, it helps because at the end of the day, you know, the customer has to buy this stuff it's, you know it's not up to me mm -hmm. you know i think i got off my high horse a long time ago where i would put stuff out and i thought it was dope but it would just sit on the shelves yeah now that we we're building this community you know we're able to actually go out to the customer and ask what should we bring out next yeah you know what should we be doing next and now that we kind of have like this formula flowing right now I think it's just it's endless mm -hmm. it's endless and that's really important in a business is to have no ego yeah. about yeah. it yeah. If you're really out there to serve the customer and grow your business is to realize that it, your idea can actually step away from it. As you. a designer, it's difficult, though, right? Because you think that the, the shit you put out is just like, it's the best ever. You're thinking <laughs> like, yo, this stuff cold. But then the customer is like, it's whack, man. Like, <laughs> now, speaking of a history of, of cease and desist, how has Ralph Lauren reacted to your play on his bears? Ralph hasn't gotten to us yet. But that's good. I know I wouldn't be surprised. And I was talking about this the other day. I wouldn't be surprised if Ralph Lauren did a Cardi B bear. Right. Like, right. seriously, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. I mean, they, they, they did a collaboration with uh, Palace, which is like a streetwear brand. Yep. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone from, you know, Ralph Lauren got whim of what we were doing. And actually, uh, an employee of his actually ordered a couple bears from us, actually. She was from New York. She came into the store and she bought a couple bears. But I, I just wouldn't be surprised if, like, the bigger brands saw it and then just started doing it. Right. So. So you talked a little bit about some of your partnerships and collaborations. So uh -huh. Foot Locker, what were some of the other ones? And I know the Foot Locker was the Icewear Vezel Bear, right? Right, right. So how did that come about? Um, it was really dope because Foot Locker, Foot Locker came at us because uh, they were carrying, they were, they were talking about carrying our regular spring-summer collection. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, I, I, one of the things that I try to do is I try to go above and beyond and do things differently. So when the Vezo opportunity came along with, with uh, Rick Williams from um, Burn Rubber, mm -hmm. um, he was doing a shoe for Foot Locker. And so I was just like, I got a hold of Rick. I'm like, we're getting ready to do, you know, drop our stuff within Foot Locker. Can't we do some sort of design to collaborate on it with us? Yeah. You know, and so... Rick was like, I mean, it makes sense to us. Like, you know, you just got to clear that up with Vezo and make sure, you know, everything is cool. So I got in touch with Vezo and his people, and they were 100% down with it. They were like, this just makes sense. Yeah. One of the drawbacks we got was that Rick has the relationships with Puma. Mm -hmm. 
So what we did was with the bear, we put the Puma shoe that Rick was bringing mm. out with them. But Foot Locker didn't get the clearance. So we had to stop and destroy the stuff we had already did because we couldn't get the clearance on Puma. Even though Rick had the clearance, they were like, yo, we can't jeopardize that. Like, yeah. This is not like a mom and pop. This is like yeah. a billion dollar company. We're not gambling like that. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the, 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 the hiccups that we kind of had and it kind of delayed production. But once we, we, we finished it, we did a, a full campaign for it. The sales rep that I was working with in New York, he told me we had the highest selling product that week at Foot Locker. Wow. So that was really dope for us, which opened up doors for like expansions. And mm -hmm. we can talk about that later, but yeah. it was a real good look for us. So tell me about a time where you thought you were failing. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, I mean, we had a. We had a. Uh, we had I talked to you in your eyes like. I'm closing the store. I'm yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going overseas, Jack. I'm going yeah, to yeah. LA. I'm done with this. It's, it's done. Because <laughs> it's 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 just and and owning a business in general, there are always going to be like these ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And so, I felt like because we 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 sell we do really well online, and a lot of our sales come out of the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, because you're like I'm moving to LA. Right, and I, there's no representation out there for us. There's no none of us are out there. I mean, mm -hmm. I got a lot of friends that are out there, but there was nothing with the brand. So I'm just like, you know, I got my brother out there that runs Lil Wayne's clothing brand. I'm like, yo, it just makes sense for me yeah. to just be out there. I can be around these people, and you know, we can give products, and we can do this, that, and the third. Um, but I, for some odd reason, I'm just always drawn back into just being here. Mm -hmm. You know. And I think Detroit is making a comeback, especially as it relates to like retail, manufacturing, and production. Right. It's it's making a comeback, but it is difficult because the stuff that we do, you know, it's not traditional with regards to like the printing process here. Right. You know, we're running eight, nine colors, and we're doing all this crazy stuff, and a lot of printers are just used to doing, you know, one, two color. Yeah. Print jobs, so a lot of times we get, you know, we get a lot of product that's just not up to par. Yeah. You know, and I know just by being out in L.A. and, and visiting different printers, this is just common day for them. You mm -hmm. know, they just they hit it over the head each and every time and they kill it. So yeah. it's difficult, but we're figuring it out. OK, um, so you talked a little bit about, you know, um, getting feedback from other people and some of the drawbacks from some of the partnerships. How do you ask for help? Ooh, that's a great question. I just ask. I think the ego <laughs> part of me came to the point where I was like, yo, you got to relax and you got to ask people, you know, what what is it that they're feeling? What is it that they want to see? Um, we poll the audience a lot. You know, I think at the end of the day, you kind of got to drop your ego, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's difficult because you think in your head, this is how this should be. But in actuality, the consumer is the one that dictates whether or not they're going to purchase this product from you. You can't just go into it thinking that you know it all. And, and again, I'm a little older than the demographic that we sell to, Right. you know, to be honest with you. So I, I'm not hip to all of the trends and what's popping with Travis Scott, what, what's going on with this, this new artist, that new artist. Um, and so having younger people around, it, it helps us out a lot. Yeah. It helps us out a lot. And it's important because, like I said, they're the ones that have to buy it. And because it's so trendy, how much of your business requires you to be super social? I think all of it. I think all of it. I mean, you have to be all in in this industry, especially you have to be super social. You got to go out and talk to people. I go out a lot and I see a lot of people wearing our product. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I like to like take photos with them or whatever and just, you know, put it onto our Insta stories and different things like that. But I think if you're you, you have to be social, I think, you know, the day and age where you were able to kind of like, you know, be in this little turtle shell and you like you're like, I'm not coming out. I'm mm -hmm. just going to be this clothing designer that's like a, a mystery and no one's ever seen me i think those days are gone you mm -hmm. know i think there's full-on transparency if you look at like what will smith is doing and like if you look at everything just social people are just showing more of their lives yeah and i think that's sort of important so um what do you wish you knew when you started like your first year of business was I that a hard year it was it wasn't a hard year because I wasn't traditionally trained, mm -hmm. meaning like I didn't work for a company prior to. So it wasn't like I understood the process of ways 
that things had to be. Mm. And I kind of like created my own process. Do you think that was almost a benefit is not knowing what you didn't know? I think it was <laughs> because that was one of the main reasons I dropped out of college uh, was because we were in a Photoshop class and I was teaching the class Photoshop. And I was teaching my instructor Photoshop and I'm like, yo, this ain't it. This, this <laughs> is not going to work. Like, it's just not going to work because I knew more than the instructor. And I was like, what's the point of me? every day day in and day out going into you know these classes and it's not necessarily benefiting me and a funny story about that is that they actually bring me back every year to speak at wayne state and they always refer to me as a graduate and i don't think they understand that they i never graduated an honorary right? degree <laughs> yeah, i know like <laughs> yo i never graduated from here man like i mean i was there long enough that you yeah. thought i might have would have graduated but no nah, I, I never graduated so to back to your question i think it's an advantage though i really do i mean the traditional methods of learning things are just like it's so cookie cutter right. that I think like if you learn it on your own, there's like different ways to get to where you have to go to instead of just going this A, B, C and D. So and do you think it also maybe gave you some more freedom because you weren't like, oh, it's got to be this way. Like you had no idea what it was supposed to be. like. Exactly. You know? it, it, it's limitless at that point. I think it, that, and I think that's important. But not a lot of people can learn like that, though, too. Right. Like not a lot of people are people will give up. Just be like, hey, I don't know what, wait, what did you just do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Like, so I think that, you know, uh, certain people, they need that sort of like A, B, C, and D. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the way I see things is a lot differently. Right. Like, so, I mean, but there's some, but yeah, exactly. There's like a hustle in there. So learning how, forcing yourself or having the right. discipline to learn that, where does that come from? I think it was just because I always been sort of like a hustler. Like, I've only had one job before in my life, mm -hmm. and I've always been, like, flipping different things. I used to flip Cardis back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like, I used <laughs> to do it. I used to sell more Cardis than DLC. <laughs> like, I had every street guy, I had everybody buying Cardis from me. Oh, so that and was the your way, first job. Yeah, the way I was getting them was that actually on eBay back in the day. It's a long time ago. Yeah. I would buy them off eBay, and eBay would have, like, they were older people selling Cardis on eBay. Yeah. So the, the, the lenses were just huge and stupid. They were all authentic. They were all real. And I had a guy who worked out of his house in Dearborn that would change out all my lenses. Mm. So I would switch out all of the lenses and the glasses. And I was literally moving through Cardis like crazy. Like so ridiculous. you've always been an entrepreneur. I was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Where does that, where does that part come from? I think I always just like money. Okay. And so I, I just always been like the type of person that's just like, how do I figure this out? Okay. Like, how do I? Because you come from a big family, too. I do. I got seven brothers and one sister. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was the only one that didn't graduate. Everybody went to college and graduated but me. Okay. Yeah. You were the middle <laughs> right. trouble child. I was the, right. <laughs> right. The one that didn't follow the rules. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about um, some of your challenges right now. So challenges right now, we have a uh, fulfillment center because things are kind of taken off. And one of the challenges we have is that once you go from doing stuff, you're on your own and you're like producing a certain amount mm -hmm. to like starting to like really scale up the company, you have to like outsource a lot of this stuff. Right. And so we outsource to a fulfillment center. And it's difficult because I think once you're you're scaling up and you're selling a lot of product keeping the same quality is difficult yeah and you you, you i I, put, I butt heads a lot you know with our fulfillment place because it's difficult because it's like here's what we've been doing why can't you guys match yeah, this your packaging is very distinct you know when you got a dirt label bag exactly mail. yeah exactly and even the the quality of the t-shirts and the printing you know you you look at stuff and you say this is exactly what it should be like mm -hmm. what what are we doing what are you guys doing wrong here like we were doing it on our own killing it like why aren't yeah. you you guys have a like a facility so it's like a change in quality almost. yeah it's like you all have like a real warehouse like this yeah. is like you guys do fulfillment for amazon like what why can't right. we get this right and so i think that's one of the growing pains that you kind of got to like to figure it out and stick with it but it is difficult mm -hmm. it's a it's a headache actually right now okay <laughs> um tell me a story where you realized what your purpose was in life what your mm -hmm. mission was how did you know you were supposed to be a creator um i think so we were going to do this uh mobile truck 
and we were just going to do it for like our brand so i remember this truck think food truck but for clothing um and so i was talking to my buddy phil uh phil cooley about us doing this truck but also opening up for other entrepreneurs Mm-hmm. So instead of us doing this whole dirt label truck, we switched the concept over to Moby, which stood for like mobily operated business incubator. And it was essentially set up for like other entrepreneurs to kind of test their product on the market for like sustainability. So once we, we started to roll that out, it kind of clicked to me that I needed like a give back for our brand because I've always been like, let's put out product, let's kill it, let's, let's, and let's keep it moving. But I never necessarily had like a give back feature to our brand. And once that kind of clicked for me, it it started to work. We got the truck. We got the funding. I was actually able to go out to New York and sit on a panel with Martha Stewart and kind of like pitch my ideal and talk about the future of the ideal and the concept and how we can scale this and grow this. Because if you look at like rent in general and like the inner city downtown and how expensive it is Mm -hmm. and like. Our truck would kind of have a low cost of entry, low barrier of entry to be able to be a part of it, you know, and it just kind of made sense when you think about retail in general and how, like, you could pop up in this area, you know, test your product on the market, and then you can just drive off to a different area. You know, you can kind of go to where the action is. And so we got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a bump in the road with that where we were actually... They told us we couldn't necessarily do the ideal because we just couldn't just drive around and sell product. But we found a loophole, which we usually do, <laughs> which was private property. And so the loophole with private property is that it's just a negotiation between you and the lot owner. Got it. Uh, but dating back to your question, I think that that kind of clicked for me where I was just like, Look, listen, we need to have some sort of give back feature because there are a lot of people who want to start brands and like. A lot of people are just like, I don't have the money for it. Like, where do I, you know? Yeah. And and in the world we're living in right now, you got to get the attention. Like, that's just what this all boils down to. This is just attention. Like, yeah. that's it. The person that has the attention wins flat yeah. out. Yeah. So we have two clothing lines um, with our students and okay, their dope. and their teams. Uh, what's the the biggest thing you would tell them? Because they're both teams of creators. Um, but how do you rein that in as a business owner, knowing what you know, what you don't know about actually running a business? Because I'm assuming you never had an actual business plan. You probably had like a mock-up. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> and what does that what does that look like? Uh, start small. I think that's the most important thing It's just to start small. I think because people see these bigger brands and you see like, okay, I want to be like X or mm-hmm. I want to be like this, that, and the third – People don't realize there are like a million people who are working up under this company to get this production, to get this out, to do this marketing, to do this, that, and the third. And I think even for me, I kind of got distracted when I saw bigger brands. I'm like, dude, I can do that. I'm like, mm-hmm. but you end up spending a lot of money, a lot of time on just stuff that just never does anything. Yeah. So I, I, I encourage people to get like a mentor, get someone who's done this before, and you, you would save yourself a ton of money. Just by just someone like me saying, this is where you need to get your blanks from. Yeah. This is who you need to go to for printing. And, yeah. like, this is who you need to go for tags. And right. I, I'm very transparent about that stuff. People come and ask me all the time, like, what do I – one thing I won't do is if I, I see you're not necessarily, like, serious, serious about it, then I'm, I'm not serious about it. So yeah. I give you off that same energy that you give me. But I just encourage people to kind of, like, start small and then have a niche. I think mm-hmm. that's important, too, to kind of have a niche to your business, something that makes you uniquely different from someone else, mm-hmm. you know, something that can kind of stand out in the market, especially in this marketplace that's just super oversaturated. Everybody has a clothing line. Like, yeah. everybody's a clothing brand. And I don't look at what I do as a clothing brand. I look at myself as a marketing company first. Yeah. And then we're a clothing brand. Yeah. So speaking of being a marketing company first, um, anti-trump social club (laughs) how did that start what's the story behind it it started uh, as a response to the current climate Mm -hmm. um and immediately it took off yeah It, it, it took off it took off quicker than i thought you know and i think there's a lot of people who which myself disagree with trump and people just wanted something to stand out, something to be bold. Mm-hmm. And again, it plays within our whole ideology as a company. Yeah. And I think the anti-Trump stuff just, 
we actually sell more of that than anything else that we have. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because people are just like in love with it. Right. And people think like we were talking earlier, people think it's an actual club. Yeah. My sister and I always wear it in the <laughs> airport and people are like flagging you down. Like, how do I join? What does this look like? Is this really a membership? Yeah, it's on T is <laughs> it got on TMZ basketball yeah. players wear it, and it's just, it's taking on its own brand. Actually it's taking on its own thing. So, so yeah. So there's more to come for stay anti. I, uh, well, I don't know yet. Hopefully it's one more what 2020 is Hopefully what, we're done. All right. <laughs> Hopefully we're done. 2020 and get up out of here and keep right. it moving. But and how did you decide to do that? Cuz a lot of brands are very careful about keeping their politics away from their brand, but some are incredibly clear on where they stand and, right. and where do you Find the what, line. What line? Know your right. People. So like Nike right. took a stand, and everyone's like, "That's gonna blow your business, Nike." And yeah, it but didn't. you think about the people who are like outright, like just going crazy over Nike. Yeah. They're not their customers. Ex and they so knew that, right? They were they like, were a step ahead of it." They're like, "Go ahead, burn my shoes." Exactly. Like you, you're not gonna wear our product anyway, and you probably already do have our product. Like right. so, go ahead and burn it, and you lose. Right. So, for us, I, I didn't care. Right. And I get people who, like, literally who to this day would comment something like I was getting ready to buy. I had a guy the other day said I was getting ready to buy 10 T-shirts, but I saw anti-Trump on your site and I didn't buy it. And I looked at his profile and I'm like, bro, you were not about to buy anything from me. But, I mean, <laughs> but you just never know, though, like right. the people who may. And to be honest with you, it has affected the business because there is a company that is a, a, a fairly large company that we were doing business with that hasn't invited us back out to do business with them. Is it because they're Trump supporters or they're just not comfortable with your political stance, period? I think they try to play the middle game. Got it. You know, where it's like, you know. They're Switzerland. Exactly. <laughs> we're chilling. <laughs> we don't know, you know, we, we and so it, it, it can affect your business, you know, but I just think for us, our demographic and, and our core customer, they they love it, you know, they they, you know, they think it's dope, so. But that's a fine line, right? You know, because deciding how your business grows versus giving your audience what they want. How do you decide that? Is that something you battled with? Was it a clear-cut decision? Uh, it was clear-cut. It was really clear-cut. Um, I didn't. I didn't hesitate at all. Okay. I didn't hesitate at all, especially when you see that it's working. Right. You know. And what was the moment that kind of bore that? Was it the election night? Was it Charlottesville? Like, what was that first thing that you're like, done? Like, this this has to be printed. It wasn't necessarily an event. It was more timing that I felt like, let's just drop it and see what happens. Let's drop it and see how people respond to it. And people are just like, this is stupid, and then we'll just pull it. With our ability to being able to print like we can and design and everything else, you know, I can put up a mock-up and just poll the audience and see whether or not they're feeling it. And so when we did drop it, immediately people were like, where is that shirt at? Right. Like, how do I buy that shirt? You know, what, what, what do we have to do next? So and it has to have a wide demographic. Cause I will tell you that my 73 <laughs> year old mother wants that shirt. She's yeah. not on someone. <laughs> we get a lot of people from literally we sell all over the world. Like you'd be surprised some of the areas that we ship that shirt to. And I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding me. Nope, not like, really. His reputation precedes him. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it's just crazy seeing it, though, seeing people from different countries to disagree with him and, like, you know, make a stance on it. And people just do not care. And we get tagged on that stuff a lot. Like, and it's not just a white, black thing. Literally everyone is doing it. So. Right. And have you seen that open people's eyes to the rest of your business? Like, that's the thing that's brought them in. And they're like, I want this shirt. But now I've seen these bears. And these are kind of cool. And now yeah. I see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we saw that um, as part of our formula, too, as well. We saw that, like, you know, anti-Trump, the bears, and the Detroit. Let's focus on those three areas, you know, because those are the three areas that are selling. You know, if we want to do random designs, that's cool, too. But, like, let's have our core focus be on these three different, essentially three different brands, actually. And uh, we get a lot of people who, again, they come to the site for the anti-Trump shirt, but then they're like, oh, shit, these bears look cool, too. Right. Like, So I just think that we've done a good job of curating dope designs, and I think that kind of plays within, like, our whole concept of, you know, just doing things differently. And so. that's what's important, too, is you, you really recognized not necessarily the thing that you love the most, but what they love the most as being your core business. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So tell me about how 
what's your biggest way to stay like engaged i mean i know you're always out and you're doing things but how do you make sure you always have your pulse because like you said you know you're not the same age as your core demographic what's the best way like are you like just constantly on social do you always um, just like a clever (laughs) (laughs) what what does that look like because you have to stay ahead of the trend all the time i I think you 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 do have to be social you do have to go out a lot but i think also you know your phone i mean you could you could tap into a lot of different things you know i think that like it's important if you're selling to 18 19 20 year olds to kind of be a part of that whole culture Mm -hmm. so like i'll go to I'll, i'll go to a different event in la this weekend we're going out to complex con like so we're we're constantly trying to be around, you know, this this synergy that's happening within like streetwear culture as it relates to like, you know, everything that's just happening in general. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's just so important to kind of like be around the youth and also talk to them about what they want to, you know, what they want because a lot of these different brands they don't speak to the youth per se. It's kind of like how I was fed up at the time, and I was just like, I'm done just buying stuff to buy stuff. Yeah. Now that you you opened up this whole floodgate to the internet, people have options now, you know, and people are not no longer just going to a brand because of, you know, it's there. People are being mindful of the way they spend their money. You know, people are looking at different causes. Are, you know, are you giving back? And, like, does this shoe give this other guy a shoe? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, so I think the consumer is well-educated now. Um, and they're 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 paying attention. Yeah. So I think you have to give them what they want. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about your audience testing and um, what that looks like. How did you know when you started what would work? Was it that the the print the print rows were so low and that you were still testing the market when you started? Yeah. I mean, our our I think anyone starting out, you know, you start out small. Mm-hmm. You start out small. Test your product on the market. You know, we did the original character was like the Wonder Boy guy. Mm -hmm. And so I did those and I was just wearing that T-shirt. And so the more people would ask me about, you know, where is that shirt at? How can I get it? I started making more based upon the demand. Yeah. And so what we were what we were doing, too, was that we limit the quantity on a lot of this stuff. So it creates this sense of like FOMO, you know, and I think. It, it, it creates this sense of urgency whenever people look at different things and say, okay, when can I get the next one? I remember a time at the store, we did a shirt, um, and we only did, I think, like maybe like 40 shirts. And we sold out, and literally there was a guy outside selling the shirt to a guy that didn't get one. He was outside <laughs> flipping the shirt. And I wasn't mad at it, but I thought it was kind of weird because I was like, damn, dude, like what if we would have made like 50? You right. know, what if we would have made more? Like so. But I think now when you think about just what's happening more, Nike is doing it. Everyone's doing this whole limited edition. Mm-hmm. We only made, you know, a thousand pair of Travis Scott's. So people sell them on StockX for, you know, five, ten times the, yeah. the, the cost of that because the demand is there, you know, and, and the people feel like. It's crazy. It's just the resale is just yeah. ridiculous. Because That's the demand is there, do you ever think that you need to change your pricing? Because it's pretty yeah. affordable. Yeah, exactly. You know, t-shirts range from, yeah. what, 25 to $35. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something else we brought up in a meeting was that um, we were tampering with that a little bit right now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as it – not just the demand, but just the cost. Yeah. You know, being able to move like we, we are moving, being able to, you know, print that quick and get things out. You know, someone has to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, so there's some sort of tax that goes into that. But we just been a company that just ate that. Like we do free shipping and we yeah. try to get people more incentives to shop with us. But that was one of the things we did talk about is maybe looking into like exploring with like taking the, the prices on our shirts up. So Yeah. And when you look at what that pricing looks like, um, I'm sorry, not the pricing. When you look at how much time you, you do in meetings, um, how much of your time is spent spent on actually building your business versus creating? Uh, or does it go together? It goes together. It goes together. Because I just don't have time to, to waste like that. Like, I, yeah. I, I just feel like, let's figure it out. Like, let's let's figure it out. Let's test it out. And if it's not working. I mean, there's been products that I put up on our, you know, we put up on our IG that never came out. Mm-hmm. You know, because they just didn't test well. People just weren't. The response for it wasn't as good as what we thought it was going to be. So, again, with me being a designer, you know, I can design something. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, all right, next one. Yeah. You know, let's, let's jump into the next one. So I think 
I think, though, as we begin to grow the company and grow the brand, that testing is going to be a little bit more difficult. And I think what I'm doing now is I'm developing more of a formula that's working for us. Mm -hmm. So that way, when we do kind of reach that scale, which we're projected to go by the end of the year, we'll kind of have a formula to know, okay, this is what the consumer wants. This is how we should be doing it and let's launch it. You know, so yeah. It's a, it's it's a trial and error thing though. And then, how big is your team? Like, how many people are you? Not that many. Ideas of? I mean, I, okay. I got four or five people, maybe. And it's always tops. been small, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I so mean, outside of that, we still have the fulfillment center that's got over twenty, thirty people. Yeah. You know, I got Diane in New York who does some design work. So I got like people who I like outsource for, because I'm all about paying for results now, as mm -hmm. it relates to like just paying somebody just to kind of just be there. Right. So, so how much of that time is was was spent in terms of like properly structuring your team and being able to stay that small is hard, especially as you grow. So, what do you see in the future in terms of what those challenges might be and being able to scale and grow properly? You know, going from a team of five to having a fulfillment center, but managing a store and yeah. expanding those collections and labels. How do you see that moving in the future? It's um, it's difficult because I don't have the right answer for that. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm not going to speak on it if I don't have the right answer. But I will say, though, that I have a vision in mind for where I want to take the brand. And, and it's not like I'm running a dictatorship or anything like that, but mm -hmm. I kind of figure I got this far by doing something right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like I'm always, you know, interested in knowing different ideals and different concepts, you know. So I, I just feel like it is difficult when you, you're, you're hiring because you're looking for, like, not the right candidate, but the right fit for the company. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it is difficult. And again, I don't really have that correct answer for you right now because it's, it's really a trial and error game. Yeah. Um, do y'all have questions? You got some stuff on StockX? No. StockX is a little different. Uh, it's mostly shoe base. So a lot of our stuff is T-shirts, jackets, hats, and different things like that. And it, the company, from my understanding, is in Detroit. Actually, they're in Corktown, uh, one of their headquarters. But I think they are based here in Detroit, though. <laughs> I, I think it's just online. But they, they are doing some experimental, like, pop-ups, though. We're in uh, downtown Royal Oak. Yeah. Can I get a promo? See, who said can you get a promo? Okay, um, so tell me three things um, that you that were myths about being an entrepreneur. Three things that are myths. You're rich. That's mm -hmm. one. Um, for two, it's easy. Um, people think that think that it's easy because it, it's just not like <laughs> that's a misconception. <laughs> like it's not easy. That every day is different. Do you ever want a corporate job? Uh, no, I can't do that <laughs> though. I'm not mad at it, but I I can't do that because. It's, I'm a little hard-headed, so I'm a little. It's a little difficult yeah. with me. But um, third, I think a misconception. What is another misconception? I think that people. I don't know. It's just. I, I think it's people just think it's easy. <laughs> people yeah. think that it's easy and it's not. Like, yeah. It's not very no. difficult. Yeah. But fun crazy. though. Yeah, but it's fun though. I think working for yourself, making your own hours. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're limitless in terms of like the income you can make. You know, at right. the end of the day, I think when you work a corporate job, there's sort of a hierarchy of where you can go to. Yeah. Like you can only go to a certain point and then that's it. Being an entrepreneur, you know, you can be a millionaire. It's a lot of millionaires being made overnight you right. know, within months, years and companies doing billion dollar evaluations and stuff yeah. like that. So. I think if you have a good ideal and a good concept, and you you just gotta work hard though too. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing too. Is I work a lot. Right. I work a lot. How much of how much do you think people don't think you work though? Because I feel like people think as an entrepreneur you're always chilling, or I know. because you're here and you're there, and people don't realize that like this is work. Nah, people don't get and it. And It's real glamorous. <laughs> yeah, no, I work a lot. Like I might even say that to say like, oh, okay, no, I'm actually working. Like, yeah, it's not like I'm just chilling or whatever. I'm like. I'm constantly coming up with designs. I'm constantly coming up with marketing things. I'm thinking about us being in Chicago at ComplexCon. I'm thinking about who I need to meet at ComplexCon. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about my daily goals. I'm thinking about the fulfillment center. 
I'm thinking about, you know, what do we move? And it's constant work. It's literally on the computer just working. Yeah. You know, and, and it is a lot, though. I mean, it's a lot. It keeps you up at night. I, right. I probably get around maybe like five to six hours of sleep, if that. Yeah. If I'm lucky. I slept for eight hours yesterday. I'm very proud of That's myself. lucky you. I, like, <laughs> just turned everything off at six o'clock. <laughs> um, but, okay, we're about to wrap up. So tell me five words to describe who you are. Let's see. Rebels? Mm-hmm. Is that five? No. Five yes. words. Oh, five words. Oh, for five <laughs> letters. You said five words. Okay. Five words. <laughs> uh, five words to describe yeah. our brand? No, you. Me. Uh, let's see. Bold. Mm-hmm. Rebellious. Okay. Uh, thoughtful. Crafty. Witty. Okay. Okay, dope. Yeah. Does that work? That works. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say before leaving? No, I just think that uh, I think if anyone here today is trying to become an entrepreneur, I think it's important that you get a mentor. And I also think it's important to ask questions and be curious about like what it is that you should be doing because you don't have all the answers. And I think that's so important because that's one of the things I kind of like didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if I would have like you know talked to more people and 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 had a mentor, I probably would have been a lot further along than where I'm at. Yeah. But you know everything happens for a reason, so yeah, I'm not tripping. All right, cool. All right, thanks, Kriti. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. joining us if you like what you've heard please rate review share and subscribe on apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen we should definitely hang out more and you can find us on instagram and facebook at thehumblehustle.co and on our website at www.thehumblehustle.co have questions need advice have an idea drop us a line at hello at thehumblehustle.co we are proudly recorded in the studios of motor city woman All production and editing is by Robin Kinney. 